The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. The Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Okay, uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Scott Lay, founder and editor of The Nooner, founder and editor around the Capitol. In fact, I think you're founder and editor about everything, including Capital Basement, which we use for our roundup, uh, and a watcher of all things political and with special knowledge about Capital Weekly's top 100 list, which just came out. And Scott, thank you for being here. My pleasure. And we'd like to gossip with you if we could. First of all, what did you think about the list? How did it strike you? Um, well, uh, you know, I... I, I since I write about public policy and politics in California every day, it always surprises me about the people I don't know. So that's, I, I rush to the list and go, wait, who exactly is this again? And then I read it and I remember, oh yeah, that's who that person is. But I thought it was a well put together list. Um, and uh, it, it shows that um, some of the key issues and we can talk about um, that we've had over the last year of, wildfires and COVID and uh, the recall election um, all kind of drive people, drive names in the list. But then again, a lot of the same people we see uh, over and over again. And, and uh, so I look forward to talking to you all about it. Whenever we put the list together, we very quickly realized there could be another hundred people that should be on the list that aren't. Uh, and there are probably people that are on the list that we wish weren't there, but we get convinced and dissuaded otherwise. So um, one thing that informed the list this time, I think it was sort of a subtext. We had the recall going on, obviously. And, you know, you mentioned the wildfires and the pandemic. It's been kind of a cataclysmic year in California. Um, do you think the list reflects that enough? Do you think there should be others who are more involved in that should be on the list? I had one person call me this morning and say, we're the water people. You know, we're in the middle of a drought. So, hey, we're the water people. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Well, they they were on a, a press club um, a, a press club luncheon, I think, yesterday. Um, uh, we're recording this on, on Thursday. Um, you know, then again, where are the what has moved on water over the last year? I mean, that's that's a big question. That was a question well, aside from and, Jeff Keitlinger, who moved on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's been a question, and you know, in uh, the gubernatorial debates, is okay. We've had these major proposals out there for a while. Um, a lot of finger pointing, say, about the sites reservoir, you know, it's it's not an environmentalist versus water interests issue anymore. It's more of who's paying for it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that's an issue like that has been put on the back burner because of the pandemic. Obviously, it's been a very interesting legislative year because most legislative staff have been working from home. And uh, actually, a lot of legislators have ended up um, working from home or being absent uh, because of COVID exposure or even having COVID. Uh, nobody seriously ill, uh, fortunately. But I think that it, it was, even though it wasn't as abridged as 2020 was in the legislature, it has been this year. And so I think it's an appropriate list. I, I you know, people know that I'm uh, Vice President of the Open California Board, Open California, um, which uh, the umbrella that uh, Capital Weekly is under. 
Um, you know, I had a couple of text messages this morning saying, how dare this person be on this list? Uh, you know, oh, good. I wasn't the only one that got those. Good. <laughs> and, and, and to be clear, um, the board of directors has no involvement in, uh, in, in the actual uh, final list. That's an editorial uh, decision made uh, by, by the, the staff team. You know, I don't know the problem that so-and-so had with so-and-so that's on it's number whatever on the list. You know? Do you think there's a group of people, um, you know, or a class of people we're missing? I, I think uh, one, you know, one sort of a working ethic we have is we should have a lot of organized labor because they do all kinds of stuff. And we have uh, um, lots of lobbyists. They do all kinds of stuff. Should we have more reporters on the list? That was raised actually this year a couple of times. Should we have more reporters on the list? And you know, yeah, I mean, there are there are reporters that um, that I, I see fitting on the list. Um, you know, I don't challenge any of the reporters that y'all decided to put on the list. Oh, sure, yeah, but there are others, and then I think there may be um, for future discussion. You know, a young guns list. Um, there are young staffers. You know, we end up with uh, senior staffers. I mean, uh, the great Kip Lipper, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean. KIPP is going to be at the center of everything. But there are also, you know, um, second year, third year staffers may have been a, a assembly or Senate fellow last year that have moved into a key role that have shepherded a key bill. Um, take, you know, uh, you know, for example, we had, you know, I don't even know who was the key staffer on Senator Pan's vaccine bill in 2019. You know, so if you have like a young guns list, if there are indeed a group of either, you know, and they could be lobbyists or staffers, um, administration officials. Well, they- we actually did that about maybe six or seven years ago because we real, you know, we did realize, as John alluded to, you fill up those hundred slots pretty quickly. And it would really be nice to have 150 slots or 200 slots. And frankly, I, I make the argument every year that there's probably there's probably a universe of 200 people that you could take any hundred out of that 200 people and it would be an appropriate list. You know, there's probably a hundred people who could go on that list without arguing, you know, you could argue about where on the list they would go. But um, so in order to try to accommodate that, we did do a sort of a, I forget what we called it. It was like a young guns or something. And man, people hated it. We ran it in, we ran it in the back of the book and we alluded to it in the list and people were, they didn't want to be on that list. They wanted to be on the main list and they were very, you know, we got, I think pretty much 100% negative feedback on our quote unquote young guns thing. So I think we're a little, pardon the pun, young guns know, shy it, at this point. You're right. I remember that list pretty well because uh, we added 20 at the end, or 20 additional ones that weren't on the list. And it seemed like we were saying, hey, we wish we'd get them on the list, but we got to get these other people first. And there wasn't enough room. And so yeah. it didn't go over. I'm wondering, you know, uh, Scott, when you talk about the young guns, I'm wondering, is there a l- part of the list? that should be dedicated to that, say between, I don't know, 50 and 60 or 60 and 70 or 10 of them, or, you know, is there, should we stake out some, you know, turf and have that for the young guns? Right. But you have to decide if, if you do that, you have to decide um, which 10 on the current list you're uh-huh. going to um, tell to walk the plank, essentially. You know? <laughs> I mean, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, I mean, no. you could go back to the old California Journal thing and call the, you know, and rank the stupidest legislators, you know, <laughs> you really want to get in trouble. <laughs> 
You know, um, guy that used to be a reporter at the Herald Examiner. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Joe Quintana. And he, this is a long time ago, he did a list for the Herald Examiner on the uh, most ineffective lawmakers. And at the bottom of the list, the most ineffective of all, bar none, was a guy named John Burton. <laughs> I mean, he was going through some bad times, but he later obviously was a legislative leader. And, you know, so you can always get, you can always get bitten by these lists. They, they come back to haunt you in the weirdest ways, you know. Well, and it's yeah. interesting, you know, now with the, when we do the print edition of the list, you know, we do the top 100 book every year. And for the last few years, we've been doing a thing where we print each year's preceding list. So the last 12 lists are all in the back. I mean, not with the bios and all that, but just a list. And it's really interesting to look back on that, those lists. Yeah, and yeah. in some cases you go, boy, did we miss a bet? You know, you have someone yeah. on there and you realize like that person was all hat and no cattle. You know, they did their thing and then they just sort of disappeared. And I agree. I think that index is really enlightening. It's really interesting to look at and see the changes over time. And also, excuse me, to look at the original list as we wrote it, because originally we had two, three, four lines per person. No wonder he got rid of it so fast. <laughs> get it. But when you got 100 people and you're writing 150 words, maybe, or a bit more, a bit less, uh, there's more going on there, more to report out, you know? Well, and one thing I noticed on the early lists was that the staffers, the capital staffers, were in some cases non-existent and they were way down on the list, like up in the you know, 70s and 80s and closer to, closer to the number 100. And the lobbyists and sort of the power players were much higher. And I think that that's something, you know, John, who's been doing this list all along, can speak to that sort of the rationale there. Um, frankly, I, you know, I'm not going to argue that I really understand this whole process well enough to really have a, a seasoned opinion on this. But I think it's, I mean, it does make sense to me that you have someone that's the chief of staff to the speaker. They're probably going to have some cloud and they're probably going to be way up there. But yeah. on the other hand, you know, how do yeah, you, argue? you have somebody like Robbie Hunter who controls so much money and so many foot soldiers, how do you put them up against a staffer that's really doing what their boss wants, no matter what they want to do? It's really difficult. And that's something where John and, you know, his, his cabal of people that he consults with. Uh, that's a really tough call because the staffers clearly have access to the legislator. They also are sort of gatekeepers and, and, you know, they can basically see what gets to the legislator and what doesn't. And the top staffers are responsible for their boss's agenda um, yeah, it's really a tough call. In fact, I, I think it was Cal Matters, might have been the B, but a while, I think it was Cal Matters a while back was talking about doing a list of legislative staffers, which I thought would be terrific. And I thought really hard to do. Really, you'd really have to penetrate, you'd really have to know your way around the Capitol and spend some time there and do that, which is even harder now. But even in the best of times, when you're able to go into the cap and walk out and chat with people. It was pretty tough to do that, I think. You know? Yeah, I did in um, the end of the 2018-19. Uh, oh, no, the, I guess it was the end of 2019. Uh, so the first year of that session, I did a, um, you know, I did a, a voting, you know, a nominations and voting for uh, awards, essentially. And, um, you know, you're damned, if, you know, I did nominations and it was, you know, only, you know, five got on the list for voting. And, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, you know, uh, and that includes staffers, included media, and nobody from the B ended up on it. So I heard from the B brass, if you will. Um, it, it's, it's, 
you know, an unenviable task. Um, So you're uh, right. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Exactly. At the end of the day, just go with your gut, do your best, you know? So one of the things I noticed in, in in this, and I was thinking about it um, as I I went for a walk after writing the Nooner today, um, you know, the top group essentially are all, you know, Governor Newsom appointees, you know, um, number one, Jim DeBoo, who's essentially chief of staff, but nobody wants that title until after the recall election. <laughs> and you have on a, somebody actually asked me that. Why is there no chief of staff? I'm like, would you like that title right now? Or would you prefer to be executive secretary until we see how things shake out? Yeah. Um, and then you have Anamata Santos, cabinet secretary. Uh, Angie Wei is number three, um, who is... Um, I forget what her title is, cabinet secretary, or no, she, I, oh no, she's legislative secretary. Now. <laughs> I can't even keep track. Mark Golly, um, secretary of health and human services. And I was thinking about, okay, what happens if the recall election succeeds? I, and I, I've alluded to it in, in the nooner and, you know, I, I think we'll see more data in polls in the next week or so, but I still think, Newsom likely survives it. But in the event, um, Larry Elder, who's clearly leading the Republican field to be a successor candidate, if Gavin Newsom is recalled, how does he fill these top positions? He is no Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, So you have Ana Montesantos, who actually was a carryover from Arnold Schwarzenegger's administration. But Arnold was able to bring in people because of his star power. But most people looking at... um, the recall election and next November, the November 2022 regular election for governor, most people think that if a Republican Republican is elected in this recall election, the chances of them winning in a general election next year are slim. So who would actually fill these top spots? Who would be at the top of the top 100 next year if it's Governor Larry Elder? So I don't know if you guys have thought about that. That's a great question and a tough call. Uh, if just hypothetically, and I don't think it's going to happen at all, but suppose Elder becomes governor uh, and the people he appoints right now, or as of September 15th or 16th, whenever, uh, he puts people in. That means they would be on, whoever they are, would be on for a year, roughly a year, a little less than a year before the next top 100 comes out. And that one of our criteria, and it's kind of a way we weasel out of doing some stuff, but we say you got to be in a you got to be in the job about a year so you don't get kicked out and you're on and actually you're gone. And how does that work out? Well, let's suppose he he elder gets in and uh, he appoints a cadre of people who helped him with his campaign. Well, everything I've read, it's not like they're the top people out there. There may there may be some that step in and advise them and good advisors and strategists pro bono. But I don't know who that would be. Well, do you think it would just be the people who've been running the recall overall? Like I'm thinking of uh, Gilliard and Ann Dunsmore. Um, and then speaking of the list, uh, Hermit Dillon has been yeah. pretty loudly defending Elder. Now, whether or not she would want to go and work in his ministry. Yeah. Yeah. None, none of them, none of those three would leave their private practices to work in an administration, in my mind. I mean, Gilliard's got a great practice. Dunsmore, same, you know, uh, you know, same connections. Uh, Harmeet's doing just fine. Um, yeah. And uh, and she lives in San Francisco. I don't think she wants to live up here. Um, so, 
I, I mean, you even you go through, okay, like those top people and um, Oren Heatley, who's the retired, you know, CHP officer, or no, I'm sorry, retired deputy sheriff from yeah. Yolo County that was the creator of the recall, you know, that, that started even before the pandemic, which has kind of become the center, the focus of the recall election. Um, I, I don't know. I, it really puzzles me. Um, you know, I know where a lot of these people come from, you know, Mark Golly, L.A. County, um, Angie Way. I've worked with Angie Way since welfare reform in 1995 when I started working for the Community College League and we did welfare reform implementation um, working with the Pete Wilson administration. Um, Anna, I already mentioned, you know, she came over from, she was a holdover from the, the actually she left, I think she left uh, state government uh, for a little while after the Schwarzenegger administration, then came back into, um, I don't know if she worked in the Brown administration or not. I don't think she did. Um, you talking about Angie? Angie no, Anna, Anna Montesantos. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're right. She had gone out and was uh, doing consulting work. Right. And, and she then, did work in Puerto Rico and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then she, she came back in. I don't remember if it was at the end of, of Brown um, or, or the beginning of Newsom. But, but I mean, we know the stories of these people. And another issue is when Schwarzenegger came in, he staffed up, we call it the horseshoe for the for the, the home gamers out there that are listening. The horseshoe is a suite of offices that are closest to the governor's office. You have all the agencies, you have the Department of Finance, they're all in separate offices. And then you have the horseshoe that's the closest uh, to the governor's office. Those are generally the policy people and the, the folks that are steering the ship. Um, Schwarzenegger filled those offices mostly from assembly and Senate Republican offices and the caucus offices. Well, those have shrunk dramatically since 2003 when Schwarzenegger came into office because Democrats have taken up so taken over so many other seats. And as Democrats grow their numbers in both legislative houses, the budgets of the caucuses automatically shrink. So a lot of names that we used to know on the Republican side, they've retired and moved on because they worked for the caucuses. You know, Schwarzenegger had a strong grounding. Uh, and, and backing from the Pete Wilson people who were really intimately involved with this campaign, gave him advice. Uh, he had a, a, a group of people who were established politically and knew their way around. Elder, well, I don't see that. And, I mean, people, you know, people mistakenly think that Schwarzenegger came in riding on a horse as a, as a you know, an actor star. But, you know, he was a businessman, an active businessman, and still is in Santa Monica. And he had run... Um, an initiative um, for after-school care, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so he was already familiar with, you know, government practice. Um, you know, Larry Elder, I don't think, has any of um, those attributes. Well, I wonder if, if Elder is elected, I wonder if he would staff up from outside of California. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ann O'Leary was was brought in from outside of California. Dee uh, Dee Myers, I believe, was brought in from outside of California, or at least, you know, she had spent so much time in D.C. And there's certainly a lot of people that were in the Trump administration who were out of a job right now. So uh, maybe Elder could source people from there. I mean, I think we are putting the, the cart before the horse a little bit. He's got to win the election first. But, uh, but it's an interesting idea. But I do wonder if there would be people in D.C. who would be more than willing to come to California and enjoy some sunshine for a year. 
Uh, it's a it's a fun parlor game to play. I mean, you know, and we 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 all do this around here as as we wait for elections to happen. I mean, there's only so many polls you can read and articles you can read, and so we start playing parlor games about what if this happens. Now, I think both D.D. Myers um, and Ann O'Leary were ca- Californians and Originally. went to Washington. Yeah, I know Ann was, uh, and I think D.D. was also, and I, I know D.D. was. You know, her before before uh, coming here, you know, she did the West Wing. She was a producer on the West Wing and, you know, writing, helping write scripts on the West Wing for a while. <laughs> Good show, too. Oh, um, yeah. He interestingly enough, Dee Myers, I think, I don't know if she made the highest first time appearance, but I don't think she's ever been on the list before. And she's now number 10 this year. So that is going from zero to 60, I, I, you know, I don't know. I think, I think she did. I think she had the highest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because I came up here in, in, uh, in 94 and, um, you know, she was working for the Clinton administration at that time. And so she just came back. She just came back professionally into the California yeah, scene. You know, this before year. she went to Clinton, she was out here working with, uh, Tom Bradley, I think it was, right. did a great job as a press secretary, just did great communication stuff. And, uh, and then went to Clinton and left and then, you know, spent years obviously in DC and then the rest is history, as they say, you know. So is there anyone else uh, that really out stuck there. out to you as a new person you had alluded to the idea that there were people whose names you didn't immediately recognize, Scott, is there anyone on the list that was a new person that kind of surprised you? I, I don't think so. I mean, one, and I don't think he was on the list last year because I don't remember exactly when he came over, but Jason Sisney, who's really taken on, you know, a, a key budget role um, in, uh, in, in the state assembly, a former legislative analyst staffer who, you know, doing economics and uh, revenue projections. And I used, to, um, I used to email him with questions about intricacies on revenues and that sort of thing as we would watch daily uh, tax receipts in April, um, and he's he's really become um, yeah, hard to tell exactly uh, w- without having big five meetings and conference committees like we used to on the budget process. It's hard to figure out exactly who's involved with what, um, but he's become kind of a chief communicator uh, about the budget and um, Assembly Democrats message on the budget and uh, the state's economic situation. Um, and so that, that's one that, you know, he, he's kind of elevated in um, visibility. Yeah, um, this was his first year on the list. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I, there, there aren't, um, well, was Erica Contreras, when did she come into office? She's on the list before, yeah. Okay. I think she came in after her predecessor, was that Schmidt? I'm drawing a blank now, but she's been in a little while. On that. Oh, it was like uh, Richard? Yeah, she's the yeah. Secretary, <laughs> secretary. I know it's all blurring together. <laughs> yeah, we've been here way too many years. Well, one name for me that I, th- I found really interesting was Anne Irwin, who uh, works for Smart Justice. I was not familiar with her. I was not really familiar with the organization. And then there was a great political article about it. And uh, then when her name was, was proposed, 
you, you know, doing the research, she seemed like such a clear and obvious choice and was under the radar. And, and as I understand, it was under the radar by design. You know, Smart Justice didn't really want to get too much attention for doing what they were doing till they'd had some success as an adult. And if that is accurate assessment of the way that they approached this, it worked quite well because I, I had never heard of her. So to clarify, that's a, that's a criminal justice reform organization. Yes. And they were, uh, they have been big donors to the George Jesco, Gascon for uh, district attorney and Chesa Boudin district attorney and also uh, legislative and also local races. Now, both those local district attorneys, so um, Boudin in San Francisco and Gascon in Los Angeles, are facing recall elections um, in this, if you will, pardon the word, but pandemic of recall elections. We have them all over the state now um, because it's it's just catching. Um, but they're going to have, if you will, a referendum uh, the, the criminal justice folks are going to have criminal justice reform folks are going to have a referendum next year on the attorney general's race, which, um, you know, uh, Rob Bonta, the appointed attorney general, is going to uh, face the voters in that role for the first time, in the statewide role for the first time. He's a former assembly member. And, uh, and there are two candidates. You have Nathan Hockman, who's running as a Republican, who a lot of the law enforcement organizations are getting behind, but Sacramento District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert is uh, is in the race as an independent candidate. She's a Republican, but she's running as no party preference. I think she probably changed her registration. Um, and there is a lot of angst out there that I'm sensing on the criminal justice issue, and it's tied in with homelessness. And if there is a an office that Republicans are most likely, or Republicans in this case, an independent, are most likely to uh, enter next year, it's likely attorney general. Because- well, it doesn't make sense that, that you know, law and order has always been a, a place for Republican candidates. What I thought was interesting is I just saw this as an aside, Anne-Marie Schubert, uh, the district attorney here in Sacramento, her brother is Frank Schubert. Who you know oh. ran the what is it the no, uh, yes on Prop Eight I think no one I can't keep it straight he was the yeah. anti-gay marriage uh, campaign eight yeah uh, yes on eight in, in eight so uh, he he was one of the people working that I I had no idea but I found that very interesting it's all it's a tiny little world here in Sacramento that that is interesting and and Rob Bonta I mean he he represented um, you know a in in East Bay uh, district his wife is actually running for his seat right now in an election that's being held on August 31st. And, um, uh, and, but he has a pretty liberal voting record on criminal justice issues because of the district he represented. And that's going to be hung around his neck next year, whether it's Hockman or, uh, or Anne-Marie Schubert that's, that's uh, running against him. So that's, that's interesting. Bringing it all back to the list. Uh, so his campaign manager is Dana Williamson. Dana Williamson, a longtime top 100 person. She was a cabinet sector secretary for Governor Brown and then went on her own and started Grace Public Affairs and uh, was on the list just doing that. And then was very closely aligned with uh, the former attorney general, uh, Javier Becerra, and then 
when he was appointed to his position in DC and Bonta got it, she seems like she was just a perfect fit. I mean, Bonta is a very progressive individual and she had run, I think it was the Prop 57 campaign for Brown, which was a criminal justice reform uh, proposition. So now she's going to be running his campaign, Bonta's campaign. So uh, it all goes again. It's all in Sacramento. It's all very tied together. Another new name to the list is um, the California Community College Chancellor, Eloy Ortiz Oakley. Um, and he's somebody that got very close to Jerry Brown um, to the consternation of the faculty groups in the community colleges uh, because they did things like the online community college um, and uh, changes to the funding formula. Um, and most recently, he's been tapped to um, to work in as as a temporary um, uh, uh, deputy secretary uh, in the United States Department of Education. He was tapped by Biden just for uh, several months through the fall. Um, and so he's become this national figure, but at a time where you have a new UC, a new UC and new CSU, a new UC president and new CSU chancellor, um, to have the community college chancellor take on a national role and be kind of the the, the, the long and steady higher education leader in California is, is pretty remarkable. And he's on the Board of Regents, too. He's on the UC Board of Regents as well. Right. And I think that's the first time a, a California community college chancellor has been a regent. Yeah. Now, you probably know. I mean, you worked for the community colleges for an eternity. So you probably know Oakley, I would think. Oh, yeah. He was on, he was on my board. Uh, so I know he was on my CEO board when he was president of uh, Long Beach City College. So I've known him for a long time, and he's always been an out-of-the-box thinker. He's um, he, he he doesn't have an education background necessarily. He was chief business officer, which is a rarity um, to be you know be elevated to be uh, the chancellor of the California Community Colleges, uh, let alone be president of Long Beach City College, one of the biggest uh, single college campuses in the state. So uh, he is. Um, He's definitely, uh, you know, has 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 promise, and I don't know what what will happen um, with his uh, role with the Biden administration. It is temporary. Daisy Gonzalez, the deputy chancellor, is currently um, running the show at the at the headquarters here in Sacramento. Do you think there's uh, another, some other uh, higher ed people on the list? Uh, before we've had John Napolitano on it before, you know, when she was still around here, and we haven't really had CSU or UC people represented per se. Uh, but is it light on higher ed? Um, well, I, again, you have a, a new UC president and a new CSU chancellor. Um, so it wouldn't have been appropriate to have them on this year. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, be on the lookout uh, for both of them. Um, uh, I'm, the names are escaping me right now, uh, but you have a, a Latino, um, that former um, Fresno State Go Bulldogs um, uh, campus uh, president is now the CSU chancellor based down in Long Beach. Um, and then um, the University of California president came from uh, University of Maryland. I'm trying to remember. He's a UC, he's a former UC Irvine um, faculty member, professor at UC Irvine that came back to California after being out of state for quite a while. Oh, no, he was, at, I'm sorry, he was at Ohio State University. Yeah, Ohio. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so, um, so he's here. So, I mean, with the keep an eye on both of them now. As we've already talked about, a lot of issues have been put on the back burner 
because of the pandemic, because of fires, uh, because of the recall. Um, and, and so the question will be, you know, is when does higher education become a big issue again? And, and I assume it will be, um, you know, beyond just the fights at Berkeley between the neighbors and the campus, which was a, a big legal battle that was decided yesterday, not in the campus. Whatever happens, it will, you're saying whatever happens will happen probably after September 15th. I think that's the case in many issues uh, that, uh, you know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of things are just kind of being held in stasis, including a lot of legislation. I mean, you know, the, the legislature leaves on September 10th. Um, the governor will have 30 days from when he receives, I have to say he or she, because there are women running uh, in, in the recall election, um, have 30 days to act on the legislation once it's received. And the, you know, so the signing period is going to be, it's going to extend well beyond the recall election. Now, people say, when's the recall election going to be over? We don't know. Uh, Governor Davis um, conceded the recall in 2003 in the early morning hours of uh, November or October 8th, the day after, you know, the, the morning you know, basically election night in the early morning hours. Well, we mailed 22 million ballots out. Uh, voters, you know, they have to have their ballots postmarked by uh, September 14th. Uh, but any ballots that's received by September 21st has to be counted legally if it was postmarked by the 14th. The Secretary of State then has 29 days to certify the election. The governor is not, if he was recalled, would not be taken out of office until that certification. So you're going to have this uncertainty about bill signing. You know, people ask me, what's Governor uh, Newsom going to do on the housing bills, SB9 and SB10, two major housing density bills approved uh, by the, uh, the assembly this week, and, and likely, um, I don't think it was acted on today, but um, SB9 likely by the Senate uh, on concurrence early next week. Um, I'm like, well, you know, he'll have, regardless what happens on September 14th, you know, Governor Newsom will be in office for a couple of weeks to act on legislation sent to him by the end of the legislative year, which is four days prior. So it's a very interesting situation. Well, regardless of whether Governor Newsom sticks around or not, there will be a top 100 list next year. You can bet on it. We're an institution now. We ain't going anywhere. <laughs> we haven't been run out of town yet. So, <laughs> hey, and we've survived. This was the 13th list. So, yeah. you know, we've, we've made it past the uh, unlucky 13. So the 14th list. So, yeah, so one, yeah. one, one, one question for you guys, because I, I just don't remember and I didn't brush up. I have my, my, my lists around here somewhere. But um, so we have Nadine Burke Harris, the, Cal the first California Surgeon General. So obviously this is her first time on the list. Um, last year was her first time. Last year. Oh, I'm sorry. She was on last year. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We were in pandemic last year. <laughs> How soon we forget. It all goes, it crunches together, man. Yeah. So, so, I mean, Golly and Harris, I mean, we have to recognize that, you know, those largely administrative positions kind of rarely end up on the list unless there's something major like healthcare reform going through. Yeah. But in this case, it wasn't a positive. It was the pandemic. 
Well, Scott Lee, thank you so much for chatting with us today. We have another 50 questions. I think Tim and I both do. We could talk all day, but out of deference to our listeners. Now we're going to talk about who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Scott, you're welcome to join us and pitch in. I think we're going to talk about Nathan Ballard. I would be hard-pressed to find somebody who had a worst week in California politics. Ah, Ron Jeremy. Porn star Ron Jeremy. But he's not a, he's not a, I mean, I, I'm not aware of him ever running for office. Maybe oh, sure he, did. he ran in 2003 for the uh, recall election, actually. But, but you uh, got to see that picture of him. If you guys haven't seen that picture, Scott, did you see the picture? I don't, don't want to see any pictures of Ron Jeremy. Yeah. Google, oh, Ron my. Jeremy. He like, made 80 year old Bill Cosby look great. I mean, he looked terrible. I've never seen anybody like that. Oh. Uh, but Nathan Ballard. So, Scott, if you want to join in, you're more than welcome to. Um, just yeah. basically, uh, Nathan Ballard was, uh, he pleaded no contest yesterday to two counts, both felony counts, one, uh, battery, corporal battery on his partner, basically spousal abuse. The second involved child abuse. He was sentenced. It wasn't clear exactly what the term was, but apparently he is not behind bars, but will have a restriction restraining order on him over a period of six years involving his wife and, uh, child. And uh, he denied it. Uh, he's a lawyer and a public relations guy. His connection with Newsom is he used to be his communications director when he was mayor. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't really know of anyone who had a worse, uh, you know, a worse time than that. I mean, I guess ostensibly you could argue that John Cox, who just spent $7 million on the election, is pulling at like 2%. This is not good for John Cox uh, when he's mayor. But um, but, you know, he's not facing facing uh, legal proceedings of that nature. Um, and, and just for the background, so, Scott, you actually know Ballard. Is that correct? Can you talk about why we consider him a political figure? Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I, I, well, I first met uh, Nate uh, through politics. He's a Davis guy. So when I arrived in Davis for undergrad in, in 1994, I, I met him. Uh, I don't remember exactly um, the forum. Um, but he was he was around Davis and active in, in politics. And uh, I soon got involved uh, through um, uh, college Democrats and the, the Yolo County Democratic Party. Um, and so I, I've known him for a long time, uh, have followed his career. He went on to to uh, Hastings, I think, for law school. And, and I, I say at Davis for law school. And so, I mean, the story uh, was a shocking one to me. Um, and like uh, many people that I've that I've seen over the years um, that I had a great deal of respect for, um, y- you know, some were, um, you know, I can't believe it. You know, uh, Leland Yee comes to mind, um, but others are just tragic. And I put this in, in, in the tragic category. I mean, clearly um, he, he has anger issues, uh, possibly substance abuse issues because he was admittedly um, drunk, you know, on, on the night of um, the incident. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a tragic thing. And, and the question is, you know, people can remake themselves. And the question is, how does he remake himself? Um, yeah. There's a, a candidate that's running uh, in the recall election, uh, a physician. He's running as a Democrat um, and he's running, uh, you know, his... Uh, he's a he's a medical doctor that uh, because of addiction lost his entire medical practice, and then he got sober, 
got a law degree, became a businessman and rebuilt his medical practice. And I learned about him um, actually after I had already voted, I learned about him last night from a friend who's a medical doctor in Los Angeles and said, have you read the story of Brandon Ross, I think is his name. And I said, no, I haven't. I didn't really read the ballot pamphlet, to be honest with you. And she said, no, you should read it. And that tells me that Nathan's story, while very sad and tragic for him, his, and more importantly, his ex-wife, and I believe two children, um, you know, he has a chance to remake himself. You know, a lot of people do. I mean, hell, Andrew Cuomo is going to remake himself, you know, <laughs> and, you know, after after the ball dropped, if you will, in New York this week um, and uh, and Larry Elder's getting by, uh, you know, with serious allegations by his ex fiance. So I-, I wish Nathan the best, but I agree. He had the worst week in California politics. Scott, Lane, thank you very much. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, John. Um, Thanks, John. As John Howard saying, we will see you next time around. Thank you all. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.